Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Creekside, and as we continue in our wartime letters series, would you grab your Bibles or your smart devices, your Bible study outlines, and locate our text, Revelation chapter 3, the last book in the Bible, Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So today we'll be looking at the fifth church, Jesus' fifth letter to uh, the churches in Revelation. And because this book's living, living and active, that applies to us as well. His message today is a message of life-giving breath to a church with dying faith. So, Revelation 3, if you'd read with me the text. And the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you'll not wake up, I'll come like a thief. And you'll not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, they'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will also be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me ask you, what is a dead church? I feel pretty honored being here almost 18 years at Silverdale that Silverdale, in my opinion, has been a, a live church. But through the years of ministry, I've heard people say, man, I grew up in a dead church. Or the church I grew up in used to be vibrant but now it's dead. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Jesus told the church at Sardis, you're dead. So I'm going to let Pastor Chuck Swindoll describe that to you in his tongue-in-cheek way. See if you can follow this. Maybe it means the sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. The pastor graduated from a theological cemetery. There you go. Some of you getting it. You might describe the worship as stiff. The people drive to church in one long line with their headlights on. Whenever someone joins their membership, the church office immediately notifies the next of kin. <laughs> the church van is, anybody know? Hearse, that's right. You're getting it. A church, the church sign is what? Tombstone. And their motto is, many are cold and a few are frozen. So, I wish a dead church was that easy to notice. But obviously, many churches can look alive, 
But as Jesus says, they're dead on the inside. So as we look at this passage, remember, we are the church of Jesus Christ. It was written to Sardis. This eternal book here is written to us in 2021, Chattanooga, Silverdale, Creekside. Each of you, if you're a Christ follower, you are part of the church. So the first thing I want to look at is the supernatural image. On your outline, you jot that down, the supernatural image. And let me remind you that the first verse of each of these letters, the initial introductory greeting is Jesus giving a picture of himself, the Godhead, his characteristics, his majesty, that will in turn meet the needs of that particular church. So what is the message here? So the words of him, him of course is Jesus, who has, that means as we sang, his sovereign control, he reigns over all. So Jesus has got this, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, so the seven spirits of God things, is that some mystical kind of celestial thing with seven ghosts flying around? Not at all. Don't be confused. Whenever you see the phrase seven spirits of God, it's a biblical description of the Holy Spirit of God. One God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Father, all one God, but in all his fullness. Then when you see the, the phrase seven stars, it means the seven churches in that day and also applies to us today. So this letter is the only letter where the Holy Spirit is highlighted as the remedy, the cure for the need of this church. And why is that? Well, look how the Apostle Paul describes the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead, the resurrection, the greatest event in all of history, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Church, say lives in you. Lives in you. Then Jesus said in John, it is the Spirit who gives life. And Paul just reaffirmed that. The Spirit gives life. Now, so what did this church need? Did they need uh, better buildings, better programs, new pastor? Not at all. The church even looked pretty good, looked alive. Yet in Jesus' evaluation, that's when it counts, it was dead. So what they need? They needed life. So Jesus was saying, let me breathe life into you by the power of my spirit. Now, in biblical days, the uh, metaphor image for the spirit was the dove. We see it through scripture. A few hundred years ago, the Celtic Christians, those in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, their image for the Holy Spirit, and I want to, hopefully I'll pronounce this right, on good gloss. That means the wild goose. I thought that was interesting, so I researched this a little bit. With well, a name hinted at the mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit. Like a wild goose, this is good. The Spirit of God cannot be tracked or tamed. Untamed. There's even an element of danger and air of unpredictability that surround him. Let me tell you, church, I think the Celtic Christians, had, they, they got it. They had something that the modern church has missed out on. That the mysterious, untamed power of the Holy Spirit of God now, to follow that animal metaphor, I'm going to give you a picture of Jesus from C.S. Lewis. Many of you know this from Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan the lion. And, and here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is given to magnify Jesus. So, 
the wild goose doing his thing to magnify the line. Now, my favorite scene is this you see here when Susan goes to Beaver, this scary, I mean, ferocious king of the jungle line. She says, listen, Mr. Beaver, is he safe? He goes, no, he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Church, this amazing God here, the Holy Spirit lifting up Jesus, this incredible, mysterious, untamed God, this earth-shaking, chain-breaking, miracle-making, never-ever-forsaking God lives inside of you and me. Man, do you get that? Listen, turn the person beside you and say, God's inside of you. And turn back and say, well, let him out. Listen, we should, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The Holy Spirit should work out of us. Listen, I pray that every time we come to Silverdale, Creekside, every Sunday morning, we come with holy expectation, expecting the unexpected. So today, we're going to end the service in a very special way. Two of our young men heading off the military. I meet a brand new family here, Brandon and Nikki. Brandon is here. First time Saudi, from Saudi Arabia serving our country. And he's... Cameron and Luke and Will, he's sitting two rows behind y'all. The Holy Spirit, he wants to do amazing things in us. We don't need to be scared of the Holy Spirit of God. He lives in us, church. You tell them I'm about to get excited here. Listen, I go to a ball game. This spring, I'm at a ball game watching a kid I watched grow up here, Andrew Manning. Andrew Manning, right and left. Sorry to embarrass you, buddy, but he's catching passes right and left. Like, he's an Udawa boy. Man, he's playing for the mocks now, man. I'm loving that. So what I do, I let her rip, man. Let her rip, yes. So, so a few years ago, I was at an art show, you know. And so these kids were doing these art paintings on stage. And I couldn't figure out what they were drawing. You know, art's sophisticated and classy, see. So why are you laughing? So these students put these pictures all together and it formed Jesus on the cross. What did I do? I let her rip, man. So I come here and I hear these songs about Jesus reigning over all, giving his life for me. What am I going to do, church? Amen. Amen. That's right. So here's the thing. Jesus gives the supernatural image of the Holy Spirit of God to lay the foundation for meeting the needs of this dead church. Now, Jesus expresses his concern. You can jot this down. His first aspect of it is this reputation they had that was deceiving. The reputation that is deceiving. Jesus says this. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Then in verse 2, he says, I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Top 10 things you never want God to say to you. You're dead. Wow. What's that? Well, it's like the Apostle Paul said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, how does a, a dead person walk? Well, we all know it. Zombies. You know, just going through the motions. Let me ask you, are you going through the motions in your life? When you come here to, to Silverdale, are you going through the motions? You know, you, you hear these amazing songs like, oh, ho-hum, you know. Or are you going through the motions in your family? Who are you deceiving? Are you deceiving the people you work with? Are you deceiving a spouse? Are you deceiving 
your kids, your small group friends. Listen, I love this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He says, you can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And I would add, you can never, ever, ever fool God. So there's a great aspect of Jesus' concern. He didn't stop here with this brutal judgment. He extends life and hope for them if they want to be renewed through revival that he demands. You can jot that down. The revival that is demanded. Jesus says, wake up. Strengthen what remains is about to die. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Now Webster says revival is to restore to consciousness or life. Become active or flourishing again. There's something in your life, your devotional walk with, with Christ, there's something that needs brought back to life. What is that? So one of the most beautiful pictures of revival is the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel. God told Ezekiel to go out to a valley, a desert valley of dead people. Actually, dead bodies, the flesh had already gone. It was just dry, dead bones. This is what he says. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to preach to him. So he gets out there, and this is what happens. He says, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I'll put my spirit within you and you will come to life. See, the same verse for spirit and breath, the identical word in the Hebrew, the spirit of God is the breath of God. So as God breathed life into those dead dry bones, he wanted to breathe life into this comatose church here. And you and I, if you have faith that's dying. So, now, here's the thing. Just as Ezekiel had to obey God, he had to step out and preach to those dead, dry bones. God asked for a response. So, we have to do, God expects the natural, we, and then he'll do the supernatural. See, Noah built a boat. Abraham offered his son. Rahab hid the spies. Moses spoke to a bush on fire. Uh, Peter stepped out of the boat. So God is expecting a response if you want to draw back in that intimacy, that relationship with him. So then they, this church, Sardis, as well as us, needed to respond to his prescription for revival. And he says, wake up, wake up. It was like Jesus was taking a person, like losing consciousness. It's like he wrapped that church in his arm. He's saying, stay with me, stay with me. Wake up, wake up. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. About 29, 30 years ago, I was ordained at Morris Hill Baptist Church across town. Very, very special time in my life. A few weeks later, the uh, pastor was out of town, asked me to preach for him, so I, I was thrilled to do that. So I was in the office studying for the message, and the secretary buzzed me and said, hey, we've got a patient down in Erlanger. We need you to head down there. I said, absolutely. So I head down there, and maybe you know Erlanger Medical Center, a huge place. So I was trying to find a parking place. I go through a couple levels and nothing here. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I thought, man, I am now right Reverend Chuck. So, Lord, I can name and claim a parking place. Give me that parking place. <laughs> so I'm driving, I'm looking, and, and then I see a guy walking out of the exit with a baby stroller. So he's heading. I said, I got me one. So I'll follow him and get that parking place. So the guy puts the baby in the stroller in the car. Then he uh, starts it up and tick, 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 tick. Oh, my goodness gracious. Lord, this is right reverend here. I need a place to park. So I head on looking for a parking place. 
So I head on another level, come around, nothing, nothing. Come, come back around, I see this guy under the hood. Then it hit me. Holy Spirit hit me with a gut punch. Selfish, self-righteous jerk I was, thinking about, I've been ordained now, I'm going to preach, I'm going to minister to the sick and shut in here. But right in front of me was my ministry. Immediately, I pulled my car over, got out, went over to the guy. I said, hey, listen, I got some cables. You need, I feel you need a jump. The guy looks at me like really puzzled, and he says something like, yo, Carol Taco Bell. Your guy's Hispanic, see? I didn't know Gus Hernandez back then, see? So I'm like, oh, man. So I go like, okay, cabelos and zhuzhuzhuz. How about that? <laughs> so the guy, you know, C, I heard C is yes, from my high school Spanish. So I grab my cables, pull my uh, car over, hook up, and I go, zhuzhuzhuz. So he, he, that's good. That's good, isn't it? So he goes in, and room starts it up, Mr. Goodwrench. Yes. So the guy gets out, and he's saying, gracias. I remember that from high school Spanish. Gracias, senor. I said, yes. And immediately I realized God had sent me here for this. So I'd heard about, you know, tongues and stuff. So I'm like, under my breath, like, God, give me the gift of Spanish tongues. So Jesus died for you. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? You know, and, and of course, he, he didn't. He didn't. And so, you know, I said, okay, well, hey, listen, God bless you, brother. I'm Chuck. He goes, oh, Chuck. I said, that's good. That's good. And he goes, me, Jesus. Whoa. Even I knew what that was in Spanish. And it hit me. I'd helped Jesus start his car. I grabbed him. I'm, I'm hugging this guy. I'm like, hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah, man. That guy's like, oh, la cucaracha, you know. <laughs> he jumps in his car and takes off. He's probably thinking this, this like idiot redneck, you know. <laughs> I tell you, I never forgot that. Here I was in my dead faith condition, dead faith, missing what God wanted. He wanted to help. Probably his wife's in there having something done, wanted to help this poor Hispanic guy. And I was going to pass it by because of my dead faith. Sometimes, church, we got to wake up. Then he goes on, he says, strengthen what remains. What does it need strengthening in your life? Is it your marriage? Uh, is it a relationship with, with uh, co-workers, your, your friends at church? What needs strengthening? Your devotional life, your small group attendance maybe. What needs strength? He says strengthen that. Then he says remember what you've seen, received and heard. When you see the phrase received and heard in Scripture, it refers to the gospel ministry, receiving the gospel. So we need to remember here. And I love this line from the old gospel song from Alison Krauss that goes, Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from, where I could have been. Let me show you. 1402 Chamberlain Avenue. It's not where I grew up. I grew up around the corner at 1412 Duncan. But this place here, uh, it's in inner city Chattanooga, and it's part of the redevelopment project. The house is really nice now. It was a crack house for years. Let me tell you, that place is holy ground. Because God sent a man and his wife from Tennessee Temple Seminary into the inner city sharing the gospel. And they shared the gospel with a little nine-year-old boy and his friend Wayne. And my life changed forever. So I go by every couple of months, drive by, I sit in front of that house and just thank you, God. A couple of times, uh, whoever lives there has come out and kind of looked at me and I take off. You know? <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to have the guests go up there and ask them if I can sit on that porch. 
you know. Remember where he brought you from. Now, according to Scripture, remembering is not just thinking, but remembering is actively living out what God said for you to do. Listen, we know what God's told us to do. Love him with our heart and love others. Are you doing that? Whether it's being involved in a small group, serving at church, going on a mission trip, what has God told you? Remember that. Keep it and obey it. But then he finishes with repent. See, this last prescriptive command of Jesus for revival is really a, a, a sharp summary of the other four. See, reversal, radical reversal, and uh, change was needed in this church. And maybe it's needed in some of us as well if we're going to see renewal or revival. So let me ask you this. Uh, what's this right here? Stage. No, no trick question. It's a stage. What's, what's this right here? Front of the stage. You're a hard class here. No. What is this? Somebody say what this is. Altar. Altar. Very good. 378 times in the Word of God, we see the word altar. I think God's trying to tell us something. The altar. Throughout Scripture, a place of repentance, a place of surrender, a place of life change, a place of renewal, a place of gratitude, a place of praise. This altar ought to be full every service. Not because we're wicked sinners, because all of us are sinners saved by grace. But, and you don't have to come to a pastor or an encourager. You can go there yourself and do business with God. The altar. He, this is a cry to repent. Because Jesus says, next, he gives a warning to those that won't repent. The warning to the unresponsive. It's a warning here to those that wouldn't repent. Warning, there's danger ahead. Look out. Please, please, it's a warning. Do we respond when God warns us? This is what Jesus said. He said, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Another of the top ten things you don't want God to say to you, I will come against you. Pastor Tony talked about this last couple of weeks. Several of the letters indicate discipline or judgment here in this. Matter of fact, later in this chapter, Jesus says this. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Just like a father or mother, you discipline your child. You may spank them, it may hurt, but you're saving them from danger or harm. So discipline's not an easy thing, but God loves us. So, but he says, you don't, you don't have to have it. You repent. Follow me intimately like you used to. Next, uh, and the apostle Paul deals with it like this. He says, deliver such a one, there was a case in Corinthians, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Whoa, that's heavy stuff. So that his spirit may be saved. But I'll never forget that Sunday evening, our first church sitting as a young youth minister, and the pastor got up and read a letter. Actually, he closed the service and sent the visitors away and said, we're going to have a call business meeting. He read a letter from... Some of my friends are here that were with me there. From our chairman of the deacons, who was resigning because he, he, he said it, he was leaving his family. It was a friend of mine. His kids were in my, youth, in my youth group. About a year later, I saw him at Walmart with his new wife. He introduced me. I went and hugged him, awkward. Then about 13 months later, he was gone. 
cancer had got him. Wow. I have no answer. How do you explain that? But what I do know is the Word of God teaches that Jesus is jealous of his church, of us. He's dead serious about guarding, protecting the purity, the sanctity, the holiness of his body. You know, the Bible even calls you and I his bride. What would you do to protect your, your bride, your children here? So here's the great thing. I'm glad he, Jesus doesn't end this letter right here. Because for Christ followers, Jesus does the halfway ever after thing a thousand times better than Disney ever could. He leaves us with this promise for the faithful. This promise for the faithful. Jesus says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garment. They will walk with me in white. I will never blot their name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father. So after Jesus confronted the church, remember uh, us too, with uh, their deathbed condition, the need for revival, and the warning if they didn't repent, he now super encourages the saints, the faithful saints, with this most beautiful picture of our eternal security. I want you to see this. I want you to circle few names there in that verse on your outline. Few names. This is significant. You could have easily said, there's a few of you, or the congregation. There's a, there's a small congregation, but he said few names because Jesus knew every name that was faithful to him. He knew everyone that wasn't faithful. He, knew, he knows each of your names. See, he died for you. You probably heard the old gospel song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. See, he knew every name here. Then he says, listen, if you're faithful to me, if you repent, I want to give you this beautiful threefold promise. First thing we read is, you will walk with me in white. Walk with me in white. Best play I can explain that is this picture right here. Check this picture out. So you may recognize yourself in this or recognize some of your family in this. These are some of the uh, 30-something weddings I've done the last couple of years. And you know, but you notice the variety and the diversity of the bride's choice of color for the dress. White, 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 white. White in the New Testament, is a picture of Jesus cleansing and total forgiveness. So each one of these brides, they walk down the aisle with their main man, their daddy. After I finish, they walk back down the aisle with their new main man, their husband. And I see some of you here today, and some of you coming up soon. So Jesus, now he gives this beautiful picture here of you're going to walk with me in white. Wow. Girls and guys, that is a picture of Jesus' intimacy with us. He's going to take you, put his arm around you. Let's go for a walk. Wow. Then he says, then I will never blot his name out. I will never blot his name out. What a beautiful truth there. And this is really a rhetorical device using the negative to overemphasize the positive. Your name is secure there. He says it. He said it. Jesus said earlier to the disciples, years earlier, he said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus wants to walk with us. He, he has our names written in heaven. If you have followed him as your Savior, then he finishes with this. I will confess your name before my Father. Now think about that. Your name. He'll put his arm around you and say, Father, this is Chuck. He's mine. He's my child. And he is just reaffirming what he told the disciples also years earlier when he said, 
Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. So this church in Sardis here, and maybe some of us, haven't been doing the confessing like we should. Haven't been doing the sharing. It's Jesus living out through your life before others at work, at school, you know, with your team, uh, with uh, even your, your neighborhood. Are you confessing him before others? See, this beautiful, beautiful promise here, you know, walking with him, his names are, in, are written in heaven forever, and conf- he'll confess us. That is because of his great love for us. And so, hopefully, uh, my prayer is that each of us are walking faithfully with him, and if not, repent, come back to him. I close with this. This picture here, some of you may recognize, Johnny Erickson Tata. For 50 years plus, she has been paralyzed from the neck down from a diving accident. But she, she has served God faithfully. In her book, Heaven, Your Real Home, my favorite book on heaven, get it, Heaven, Your Real Home, Johnny Erickson Tata, she describes this confessing, walking with him, how she pictures it for her. She says that I believe Jesus will say, Father, this is Johnny. I died for her. And then, she, and then he'll go, Johnny, may I have this dance? Wow. Come on. Come on. Don't get religious on me. That's good stuff. Man. Jesus, he loves you so much. And he demands that we follow him faithfully. So if God has got you off track, come back to him today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. Sometimes convicting, reproving, many times encouraging, strengthening, healing. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each heart here, each name. You know each name here. You know each heart. I pray that you speak to us, God. If there's a response needed, I pray your Holy Spirit, God, that lives inside of us would do that work in my brother, my sister. So, Lord, speak to us now as we respond to your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.